Hey guys, this week we have part one of a two-part podcast with the automation ladies, Allie Gilpin and Nikki Gonzalez. In this episode, we talk about some of the more recent things they've seen come out of the manufacturing industry, and then how people are handling the post-pandemic changes to the supply chain ecosystem. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to Manufacturing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rawl. Today I'm joined by not one, but two guests. These two guests are not only successful successful engineers, but also successful businesswomen. One is our returning guest, and one is a first-time guest. Allie and Nikki, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, we'll figure out if we talk over each other, we talk over each other. Um, we'll just, it's... It's a weird dynamic when we have more than one guest, but but this is great. I mean, it's it's a new thing for us, and and uh, I know you guys both have a lot to to offer and say today, so um, I'm excited, and let's just jump right into it. Uh, Nikki, uh, first time guest on the show, welcome. Uh, can you, for the listeners, give us a little bit about your journey within manufacturing and kind of how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I really appreciate the intro. I this this happens to me a lot, but I'm not a degreed engineer. I actually went to business school and came out of it into sales engineering. Uh, my dad's an electrical engineer and an entrepreneur, and he moved my family from Iceland to England to Texas when I was a kid and ended up starting his own business. Um, and I sort of saw him as the CEO when I was I started to work for him in middle school. And I ended up kind of getting the bug for really working with people in person. I, I went to my first trade show with him when I was in high school. Uh, it was the American Trucking Trade Show in Dallas. And I played all the different roles that were available because it was a small business. And I interned for him every summer. Uh, and I ended up sort of falling accidentally into doing what you would call technical sales or engineering sales. Um, I actually, my first customer was in Washington State. I had never been there. I all of it happened over the phone or the internet. And this was, you know, back in the day before that was really common. But I made a sale sort of inadvertently and I loved it and the customer loved it. And it opened my eyes to, I guess, the, the fact that an engineering sales role is something very different from what I expected a salesman to be, which is not something I ever thought of myself as, as being or wanting to be. But I went, I went and got an international business degree, but didn't really know what to do with that. And so it was very drawn to the technical side of things. Um, but I didn't really have any experience with manufacturing. Uh, so it was really kind of happenstance. I applied for a variety of technical recruiting, technical marketing, and technical sales jobs. And I ended up at Keynes University. Uh, and I learned to become a machine vision sales engineer, which was so much fun for me. You basically have to prove every application in and of itself in order to be able to sell any equipment. And so it was really a problem solving gig for me, um, which is something that I have a ton of fun with. And so I ended up being a perpetually cu curious person. I can't, you know, do the same thing for too long or, or look at a problem without looking upstream and downstream from that problem. So I ended up going into pneumatics and motion with Festo. Um, and then I went into design software for engineering for prototyping and optimization. Um, for electronics design, and then ended up at a supply chain startup that was looking at big data and uh, doing using some machine learning and data science to predict demand for supply chain goods, uh, and ultimately ended up kind of marrying all of those things together with the startup that I'm with now, which is Quotebeam, 
Uh, we're a platform that helps uh, customers find inventory of components and uh, distributors connect with their customers and sort of building a technology platform for the supply chain in industrial automation. Wow. Yeah. So uh, you, you started off by saying you're not a degree engineer. I just want to point out that that's just a piece of paper. Knowing your history and knowing what you do, yeah. you are 100% an engineer. Don't let yeah, anyone tell you differently. <laughs> You know, Thank you. Um, yeah, I and That's I awesome. know many degree engineers that will probably know less than you. So, so yes. just 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 know that. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I always thought about going back to grad school, but I've been yeah. learning so much, like every yeah. job I've ever had, that it, it it doesn't make any sense to me now. I mean, I still mm -hmm. would love to maybe one day, um, just because I I'm a sucker for learning new mm -hmm. things. Um, but ultimately, yeah, you know, the on the job learning, like going into that factory and solving that problem is something that I couldn't have been taught in college anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Experience always trumps, um, I think, the books. So um, you're, you're probably way more suited than just a book engineer. Um, I've had some very great people in my career yeah. teach me the things that yeah. they learned in class. So <laughs> it's really uh, a community effort. Yeah. The, the other thing, uh, how old were you when you left uh, Iceland? Um, I was 11. Wow. Okay. I said the only uh, caveat to Iceland that I have is um, a Mighty Duck reference. <laughs> <laughs> I heard and, a lot of that when I first yep, came. Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. That was. At least I, you know Iceland is green and Greenland yes. is ice, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. The only um, thing I always have to correct for that movie is we're not all blonde haired and blue eyed, as you might notice. <laughs> I got a lot of, no, you can't be from Iceland. You have yeah. to have blonde hair and blue eyes. Do you play hockey? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, so take your movie references with a grain of salt, but you yep. did learn one thing that is actually correct. Yep. Um, well, great. Uh, well, Allie, uh, your question's a little bit a little bit different this time. Um, and then Nikki, obviously, feel free to kind of answer as well. But uh, Allie, I'd love to know um, just this year in general. Um, I know you. I've seen you at a couple of trade shows and here and there. Um, what's the coolest thing that you've seen this year so far? Man, I'm trying. I'm having like flashbacks of like just this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess I've more. I've seen like uh, instead of instead of seeing like new technology because I mean I've seen. I guess I went to like Pack Expo like last mm -hmm. year, like 2021. Mm -hmm. And so like a lot of the same ish types of, you know, um, uh, I guess the booths were really similar, right? But um, I guess, I guess what I've, the craziest thing I've seen, unfortunately, isn't like tech. It's just yeah. like I've seen that like, a lot more is negotiable than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. That that's the craziest thing I've seen um, that I'd like to share. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and that's just from probably a lot of just your your personal growing business. You've seen that yeah. there's more room for negotiation. People, you know, they have standard, but standard is a very loose term now. So. Yeah, and especially now with the like the way that the supply chain is just like destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's everyone has become so much more flexible um, or maybe they always were this flexible, but, um, and, and I'm just finally like realizing how flexible it is out there. Um, and it's cause we have to be, 
in order to get any of this work done. Also, the supply of not supply, but like in 2015, when I like kind of transferred into um, the controls engineering side, um, they specifically were saying that like there were a ton of baby boomer controls engineers retiring. And it appears that they mostly have retired. And so we just have this just like huge void in every type of engineering, but especially uh, in controls. So that's kind of made it definitely a laborer's market Mm -hmm. out there. Uh, Nikki, anything to add? Yeah, I I mean, I'll say not necessarily from a technology standpoint, although it's been maybe a a decent gap for me since I went to Pack Mm -hmm. Expo last, which was like 2016. Um, Obviously, I I think for me, the variety of of new cobots from like baby size ones to giants, Mm -hmm. right? There's a lot more maturity, I think, in the robotics market. And and they're looking at a lot more applications for it because it's so flexible. but what I saw with that is is also kind of the emergence of more and more of a partner ecosystem yep. instead of companies going at it alone with their booth or their their best tech. Uh, I think even the biggest companies are realizing and part of this is the supply chain issue. Part of it is, you know, changes in buyer behavior where you have to be looking at new channels. Everything is changing. And so a lot of companies seem to be embracing more partnering with their ecosystem and maybe even competitors in some ways. Um, instead of kind of, you know, holding, towing the line of we're the one stop shop and stick with us and we, you know, we are the end all be all. And I, I I love that sort of community spirit. I feel like that's something that, you know, there's there's so much work for all of us to do in automation. Mm-hmm. There's so much demand that we can just grow the pie faster if we work together. Yeah, the, the ecosystem's definitely gotten stronger and expanded. You know, people are, like you said, not trying to be a one stop shop. They are picking a technology and really focusing and I think everyone realizes that, you know, that old saying, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? I've said it before, right. I think, on the show. But it's probably my biggest go-to saying at this point is because it's just everyone, especially with supply chain being in chaos, realizes, you know, we're here to help everyone. And so I think it's it's definitely a testament to, to manufacturing in general. Um so I have a, a couple questions for each of you. I'm, you know, we'll kind of bounce back and forth, um, and, and kind of get your because, as I mentioned before, you guys are in business and and been pretty successful overall. Um, and I'm gonna start with Allie. Um, you on LinkedIn, you you definitely show uh, you travel a lot for controls, um, and. I guess, what is that like? And, and do you think you've benefited a lot um, from, you know, obviously early in your career to now to being that boots on the ground controls engineer that's, you know, going on site? Yeah, um, I definitely, I think Nikki was saying something about this the other day, but um, we have our really unique paths that we like took and it all ended up coming together to be you, even though it was super random. Like, I mean, I, she described several jobs and, you know, I could go through my history and it just kind of looks like I jumped a lot, but mm-hmm. I absorbed so much more in a short period because I could just like restart like my learning, you know, every couple of years um, and, and still make an impact like during that time. 
you know, and be, you know, I never left anywhere. And, you know, any, any of these jobs will say that, um, I never left anywhere like dry, just mm -hmm. like left, left to hang, you mm -hmm. know, like, Oh, well sucks. You know, like I trained people. I did, you know, as much documentation as humanly possible left standards when I mm -hmm. left places that like we're supposed to be able to follow, you know, like I, I didn't just come in, uh, you know, keep my job security and like dip out like, yeah. and get as much learnings as I could. Like, so I guess, but, but definitely, you know, my experience, uh, as a traveling startup engineer, just like changed the way that I functioned, mm -hmm. you know, cause you have to, you, you do change. Like you have to be, cause you, you're going to run into, um, delays like airplanes like you know flights being canceled um your reservation just somehow disappeared and now you don't have a place to stay and you're gonna have to go figure something out um like there's just so many like you you change your expectation you don't get mm -hmm. like super mad because you'll just like i i have like some anxiety issues and like i've learned to cope with just like Oh, okay. Well, that's destroyed. So I guess I'll, what, what, what kind of happiness yeah. can I get out of today left? You yeah. know, instead of be like super miserable because there's going to be so many, every, every airplane ride is a different type of misery, mm -hmm. right? Like either there's a child screaming or like the people are rude yep. or there's just like a thousand things that could ruin your day. And like, mm -hmm. if you let them, you would never make it in this type of traveling situation. Yep. And people like do make it and it's because they are chill and they, mm -hmm. they take the, you know, they figure out what's going to make them chill um, during, you know, this time. And it's definitely hard to eat good, but like when you do, it pays off. Yep. Um, yeah. Did I answer the question? <laughs> yeah, I think you did. I think you did. I okay. think it's, um, it's definitely the traveling has definitely shaped the way you look at things. And you seem to be a lot more kind of go with the flow, silver lining, you know. And it's um, it 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 matches, you know, because like life and like Murphy's law, right, matches mm -hmm. what goes on in manufacturing. Yep. <laughs> so you know, when you get the call and it's just like really bad news, you're like, okay, and then you go deal with it, and like, yep. and there's going to be other times like you cannot live in like fear of bad news that will like drive you. Cause I used to be like that when I was a process engineer, it was like early in my career, I was kind of more of a perfectionist. So anything that went wrong was just like a big deal to me and like would physically like upset me. <laughs> and I had to let that go. Um, it, because there's so many things that are just going to go wrong. Um, I don't know. There's a show called the Patriot and it's really funny because like, he's like a, kind of like a secret agent, but like everything is always going wrong. And it's just like a really good show because there's like humor behind that. And so if you can see the humor of like, or make jokes out of like how everything's always just like jacked up um, and you have another problem to solve um, that can get you through all of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do like the travel. I do like just kind of not having a ton of, you know, um, notice and just like book a flight go there and then somebody else pays for it <laughs> um so nikki um looking at your background 
you obviously mentioned in kind of your journey, you've dabbled in a little bit of everything. You know, um, how do you think that's making you a better engineer today? Well, I, I will tie it to Ali's story just now too, like seeing a variety of different problems to solve and then learning from different types of people and different processes, how to solve them. You end up with the toolbox that's maybe full of all kinds of different tools that a lot of people in that particular trade wouldn't normally carry. Um, and I, I think it lends itself well to certain situations, not the best in others. Like I realized at some point that I have a hard time sticking to my lane. Right. When I was a salesperson last with, you know, you have your territory, you have your goal, you have things you're supposed to do. I can't help myself but look around and go, oh, but that needs to be done. Oh, but this person needs help. Oh, I, I can do that. Right. Um, one example would be I, I had a very specific territory. I sold very specific software and I felt like uh, a lot of the prospects would have to wait until after they bought a license or to you know do a very intensive trial to even figure out how the software works and whether it would be something that they would feel comfortable learning. Um, and we did this one day a year workshop uh, at a hotel where we would have our customers come show applications and our apps engineers would show it. And But a lot of people, if they didn't make it to that one day, it was like, okay, we'll see you next year. So I thought, hey, let's, we have a conference room in our office. We can, we do trainings there, right? After people buy the software. What if we do a mini workshop where we show mm -hmm. like half the stuff we do in that one day? And I started setting that up locally and, you know, it was, it was great. I just, I find myself very interested and engaged when I'm coming up with kind of new solutions um, or maybe something like bridging a couple different areas that somebody else didn't feel like they either had the, the capacity for or time or, you know, they didn't connect those two dots. I did. And I, I ran with it and I had a lot of fun with it. And then when I was told at one point, like, you don't get paid for that. You should not do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All of a sudden, like, I didn't have so much fun with that job anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it, it definitely, you know, I wouldn't say it's it's for everyone to to go and just constantly start over and learn something mm -hmm. new. But I always found, OK, what is it that from my previous experience that carries to the next one that's valuable? And then what part do I need to learn from scratch? Um. And then I usually, you know, there there should be enough that I already know that's valuable to where I find myself adding value immediately. And then there's that learning curve. And I really enjoyed that piece. So in the in the last year with Copium, I mean, we're building tech that I have a lot of experience in building for another application. Mm -hmm. um, but what I don't know is the are the intricacies of the buying of, you know, components in industrial automation. And so I ended up uh Again, not part of my job description, yep. but outside of our platform, helping people find the parts that they need. And it, nobody ever said, hey, Nikki, do this. Or like, I don't really make money doing it. But to me, it was the logical step that I saw. If, I, if I'm trying to build tech to solve this problem, and I don't know the problem in and out 100%, and really the worst parts of people's problems, right? What, what is the highest value thing that I can come in and try to solve for them? Um, then how am I going to build something that's really valuable, you know, in the right ways? And and so I, against my better or everybody's yep. better judgment, kind of dove into trying to be this problem solver mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to the global supply chain. And man, I like I, I'm so glad I did because it's yep. taught me so much. I know I, I was just Ali was talking about this the other day. She's like, sometimes I feel like people ask me a question and I just Google it for them. 
It's like, yep. do I really add a lot of value there? Yep. It's like, yes, because you know the right question to ask Google and maybe that yep. person. <laughs> The other thing I realized is Google's algorithm learns, right? It's yeah. personalized. My Google results look different than yours. Yeah. And because I Google for hard to find parts literally on a, like multiple times a day, mm -hmm. my search results are a lot better than most people's. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how has that helped me? Thankfully, I found people to work with that uh, don't look at my resume when they want to hire me because yeah. it would probably not make sense to a lot of people. Uh, but when they they know what I'm doing or they see me in action, right? Those are the people that I work with now. Um, and this joining of this last company, most of the interviewing was m me telling them why they shouldn't hire me, all the yep. reasons they shouldn't. Because I I'm a, you know, I'm I'm not your standard employee, right? right? And I want to make sure that I set expectations properly. There's certain things you're going to get from me that you won't get from someone that's done the same thing for ten years. But I'm not going to pretend to add the same type of value as that type of person because there's a lot of value there as well. Um, but I think companies, you know, oftentimes need different things in different stages. So I'm great at early stage when a lot of things need to be figured out and done and mm -hmm. there isn't necessarily a blueprint for everything. Um, and then once you get to a certain point where you need to, you know, follow a process and stick to your lane and, and those sorts of things, then I'm not necessarily the right person for that anymore. Yep. Well, I'm going to do my follow-up question for you um, first before I jump back to Allie, um, just because it plays into this so well. Um, what advice do you have for people that love manufacturing but just don't quite know where they fit, right? You know, they're not, they don't, they're, maybe they're not an engineer or, you know, so many times do I come across people that love manufacturing but they're like, I'm not an engineer. And I say, well, yeah. it's not the only job in manufacturing. You know, right. do you have any advice for anyone that might have that question? My, From yes, someone that yes. doesn't put stay yourself, in <laughs> Put yourself yeah. out there. Like, there are people around you. If you're already in the manufacturing industry, but you don't feel like you're in your right fit, start talking to everyone around you. A, learn what their job looks like and find out maybe if it's something that interests you. Or maybe it, it, there's an overlap with some of your skills there. Talk to those people. Is Are they in a job? Like, do you see that job and go, oh, that looks like something I would actually like to do. When I was in sales engineering, I ultimately looked at a lot of the people that had done that for 10 years and looked at where they were. And I didn't feel this overwhelming sense of I want to be where they are. I, you know, ended up finding kind of a different path. Um, so that's one thing. I've never really known exactly what I wanted to do, but I can tell kind of when I look at something does that excite me or does it not? Um, so if you put yourself out there and, and open up about you wanting a change, you wanting to grow, um, I think also people pick up on that and they will offer you opportunities if you if they see you are the type of person that will take them. Um, people don't like to hand opportunities to people that then sit around going, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do anything with that. You know, they want to see somebody that is, you may not have all your stuff figured out, but if you're out there and you're you're putting yourself out there, you're actively learning. And I at this point, I'll give the advice now that there is like, you know, business, social media, LinkedIn or whatever, whatever it is you're learning or interested in, put it out there because you never know who's going to see that and go, oh, this person has a thirst for learning this. You know what? I have something to teach them or I have an open position um, now that I'm in a position where I look for people to hire. um, I look for that sort of like if I see somebody that is, you know, actively engaging in areas where they want to grow, that to me is a great sign that they have the potential to do that job. Um, and I think many manufacturers uh, 
or just companies in general are realizing that they need to be a little bit more open and flexible with how they hire instead of just putting out a list of hard requirements that everybody has to check boxes. Um, and if you take a sense of ownership of your journey and that fact that you want to learn and that you want to grow and, you know, try to do a hobby or something that can kind of showcase what you're trying out. And if you try it out and you end up either not liking it or not being good at it, you know, that's okay. I used to think that I would be a failure at everything because most of the things I tried, I didn't want to keep doing them forever. Uh, and I used to kind of think, oh, you have to get really good at something and then do it for your entire career. Um, and I think there are places for people like me that never figured out what they want to do. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, always just keep moving though. Don't, don't get stagnant in a place where you are not happy and then just complain about being there and not knowing mm -hmm. your options, right? Just go out there, find people to talk to. Um, and really that energy opens up so many doors when you're out there showing people that you're, that you have that drive, that you want to learn, that you want to do something more, that you want to grow. Um, and then like doors or windows or whatever will open for you that you didn't know to knock on. Um, that's kind of how I ended up in this yep. position. It's not because I five years ago was like, this is what I plan to do and I'm not, I'm going to go do it now. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've always known I wanted to grow into, you know, and when I find a different direction or whatever it is, I, you know, when it seems right, the opportunity presents itself. I have a few different people that I kind of talk to. My dad's one of them, yep. you know, some of my mentors from before. And then I just kind of try to go with it. And sometimes it's scary, but usually those end up being the best decisions that I made are something that I was a little bit scared of. Not sure if I could really do, but I had the opportunity and I went for it. Yeah. And having that, that support system, that inner circle, I think definitely helps, right? Cause it's, it's always a scary thing, especially the older you get, maybe the more, um, adult you become, right. You know, um, you start a family or things like that, oh. you know, big changes, you know, yeah. can just be crazy and, and, and very difficult to kind of comprehend and, and, and manage. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. I think, I think, you know, spot on for sure. So that's going to wrap things up for part one with Allie and Nikki. Join us next time where we continue our conversation by going into working remotely and then their new podcast, Automation Ladies. Until next time. This podcast was brought to you by Promise Incorporated, hosted by Matthew Rawl, produced by myself, Lauren Rawl, mixed and edited by Ben Parsons. Please make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at podcast at promiseinc.com.